Welcome to the podcast series for the Gender Institute at LSC. In today's podcast, we talk to Scarlett Harris from the TUC about the Gender Inequality and Power Commission event on gender and the economy. Scarlett Harris begins by outlining why women's real experiences of work are key to the debate. Sometimes the government's focus when we talk about women and work, women in the labour market, often that seems to default to a discussion about women on boards, women in business, which I don't think actually is the majority of women's experience of the labour market and in some ways is irrelevant actually in terms of how we improve the lives, the incomes of the majority of women in this country. That's not where the discussion is at from my point of view. Well, let's start by talking then about younger women. What are the key issues do you think there and what needs to be done? Well, what I said in my presentation and how I feel about it is that there are lots of positive things to say about young women. And actually, we've just had the gender pay gap figures out earlier this week. And they've shown once again that for younger women, the gender pay gap really isn't that significant anymore. I think lots of young women have a totally different experience of the labour market to older generations and feel very positive about their futures in the workplace, have lots of confidence. Yet, at the same time, what I wanted to talk about was the number of women who aren't in work at all and aren't in education or training either, so NEETs. And when we talk about NEETs, when we hear about NEETs on the news, we're generally given pictures of young men in hoodies and we have this idea that this is an issue affecting young white men and young black men as well. But actually the reality is that there have been consistently more women NEETs than men NEETs, certainly for more than a decade. I think it's 17% women NEETs compared to 15% men. And we've also had the pleasure of sitting in on focus groups where we've talked to women about their experiences and heard them talking about their experiences and it becomes very clear that you know this it's a class issue and a gender issue and there was an exercise they were given to do of they were given a pack of cards with different jobs on and were to sort them into piles of jobs that they thought that they had been encouraged to do and jobs that no one had ever suggested they could do and it was it was heartbreaking to watch because they're Very quickly, in all of the groups, there was a huge pile of hairdresser, cleaner, cook, nursery nurse, all of those kind of very important but low-paid, not especially skilled jobs that don't offer great progression routes for women. And jobs like solicitor, doctor, lawyer were just completely dismissed. They were in the pile of, no, no one ever said I could do that. That was never presented as an option when I was at school. And I still don't think those are the kind of jobs that someone like me could do. I think that points to a wider issue about occupational segregation and the kinds of paths that are open to young women and that's very divided by class as well because I think middle class girls do have different opportunities presented to them and working class girls often are pigeonholed into those much lower paid jobs with very few prospects. What what would you say then are the key things that businesses and politicians really need to be thinking about when it comes to these young women then? How do we get the message across I think there's a huge challenge there. I think some of it is about getting this message across. It's about raising awareness that this is a problem. So some of that's a question of the media. But I think the government have a role in terms of how they ensure that there's good careers advice, for example, in schools. Careers advice is something which has been decimated over the years and now it's very patchy. And there needs to be a real focus there on ensuring that young women and boys are given good information about what they could do. But also, you know, looking at things like the apprenticeship system, which has attracted huge amounts of funding over recent years. And it's something that all political parties are very interested in and see as a solution to problems of youth unemployment. But there's been very little focus on 
how to ensure that the apprenticeship system doesn't mirror or even magnify inequalities that exist in the wider labor force, but actually challenges them. And so, for example, talking to big engineering employers and car manufacturers who offer excellent apprenticeship schemes that are, are recognized world round as being excellent apprenticeship schemes with very high rates of pay and good progression prospects. And they have very few women doing them. You know, there's lots that could be done in terms of outreach work of getting girls interested in those kinds of careers and letting them know that those opportunities are open to them. So at the other end of the spectrum, you were looking at women aged over 50. What was the picture there? This was a big piece of work that I carried out last year. And the key issues that came up was low pay. So that was linked to, it was linked to occupational segregation, but it was also linked to discrimination. It was very clear that the pay gap is huge once you get to 50. Some of that is to do with lots of women in their 50s are working part-time. And of those working part-time, the majority are earning less than £10,000 a year, which is not a lot if you're saving up for your pension. Um, we found big issues around job security and precarious work. So we often think about zero-hours contracts affecting younger women in their 20s, for example. But it also seems to affect people at the other end of the labour market um, post-50. We found that it was harder for older women to access training opportunities and that employers often didn't see them as people within the workforce that needed training or it was worth training because they were sort of coming up for retirement. Um, but the biggest issue that came out was the difficulty in juggling work with unpaid caring responsibilities. And it was clear that lots of these women were juggling care for grandchildren, which was an increasing issue as the cost of childcare rises and their children couldn't afford full-time formal childcare, but also caring for partners or elderly parents or other relatives. Um, and another thing that came out actually was that as women are having children later and later in life, there were women in their 50s who also had school-aged children and they found their employers really unsympathetic because they just didn't anticipate that a woman in her 50s would be wanting time off to go to pick up their child from school or to go to the school play. So we found a, a lot of issues there around caring responsibilities and struggling to make a living. Just finally, I'm keen to get your thoughts on the role of the TUC, the role of the Commission in making sure these important issues are raised, in making sure that these messages get through, especially in the run up to a general election year. You know, we really welcome the Commission. I think it's so important that we're putting out well-evidenced arguments, as you say, in the run-up to a general election, and the LSE is obviously highly regarded, and the kinds of evidence that will be produced by this commission, I'm sure, will be listened to by all parties and will have a huge amount of influence. And I just think it's so important that we have these kinds of discussions about gender inequalities and women in the labour market in the run-up to the general election and are presenting these arguments in a way that hopefully politicians will sit up and listen to. Scarlett Harris is Women's Equality Policy Officer at the TUC. You can find out more about the work of the Commission at www.lsc.ac.uk forward slash gender institute. And you can also follow us on Twitter at LSC Gender Tweet.